Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. We're continuing our series this morning on authority, faith, and character. And I've entitled this morning's message, Whom Shall I Fear? Psalm 27, 1 from the New American Standard says, Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yahweh is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? If you're going to exercise the authority that you have been given through Jesus Christ, you're going to have to believe it and you cannot be afraid. Everybody say amen. amen. Fear is, well, you know, before we get to that, uh, first of all, uh, our Colorado family has added a child this week, for those of you who didn't know. And Timothy Alexander Edward came into the world uh, uh, earlier this week. And we congratulate uh, Joe and Joy on uh, number three. Praise God. This is so awesome. Amen. And uh, Joe continues to regale me with his dad jokes. And for which I am appreciative. Uh, they, he sent one the other day. It was actually funny. And uh, well, I mean, most of them are. But th- this one was good. It says, you know, I had to take my lizard back because it wouldn't stop telling jokes. And the pet shop owner said, that's not a lizard. It's a stand up chameleon. It's clean. All right. Um, fear is faith in reverse. It is faith for bad things. It's faith for trouble, defeat, pain, reverses. Fear is an emotion that will freeze you in your tracks. It can make you hard for you to sleep. It can make you, uh, it, can, it, can, it can bring a malaise to our lives. Uh, in fact, anxiety, you know, the, uh, when, uh, I can't remember, it's over in Isaiah. I can't remember the name of the characters, but they said, uh, they said, let us go up to Jerusalem, to Judah, and create a breach in its wall and set up Tavael as king over them and afflict them with a sickening dread. Anybody know what a sickening dread is? That's just another name for fear. It's another man, you know, it's apprehension, it's worry, and it's angst, you know. Um, fear can cause you, if it's particularly if it, the onset of it is strong, it can make you forget everything you know. I mean, it's just, it'll blank you out. One of the, when I was going through police academy, I don't know if they still, Jason, do they still do baton training? Yeah, we, we were training with batons. Some guys had tonfas, also known as prosecutors. Others just had, you know, your basic nightstick, uh, whatever. And we had these uh, dummies that we were to, you know, and we were taught how to block and parry and all that kind of stuff. And we were just doing it over and over and over and over. And finally, somebody, it wasn't me, but somebody in the, in the class said, why are we doing this so much? And the instructor said, because it has to become second nature to you. Because when suddenly you're in danger, somebody comes at you, somebody attacks you. If you do not know 
how to respond second nature. Like with if you're carrying a tonfa, you can hold it up like this and the stick goes like that. And you can block or whatever. Or with the, you know, with, and then you can whip it around and all this, you know, fun stuff. And he said, if you don't have that ingrained as second nature, you'll fall back on whatever is most instinctive to you. You'll leave your stick on your belt and do this. You know, or worse, go for the gun when it isn't necessarily uh, uh, the the right thing at the time. And so, you know, and he further said, and if you guys are smart, you will continue this training and keep it fresh because it is a perishable skill. Fear is, again, faith in reverse. It is the enemy's chief and most effective weapon at neutralizing the people of God. And getting the unbelievers to do what he wants them to do. Fear, in many ways, is way stronger than lust. The story, the preacher's story is told about the man who said, I just can't help it. This woman is just, and I know it's an adulterous affair, and it's just, I can't, I just can't say no. Well, what if... And when they're getting ready to consummate the sin, she says, oh, by the way, just in the interest of full disclosure, I have AIDS. Suddenly, fear will rule the day. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Fear is the way the devil confuses people, the way he neutralizes people, the way he drives them and controls them. When you see fear being used... Whether it is in an organization or in human government, you immediately know who's, beside, who's behind it. You immediately know who's pulling the strings. Did you know that Zoloft and Prozac antidepressants have actually in their not fully metabolized forms have been found in groundwater and in streams downstream from waste treatments plants because so many people are on antidepressants because they're, 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 they're so anxious about stuff. And that's not just in the U.S. That Europe, you know, and even uh, China has it going on. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, we have seen in the last couple of years our government just absolutely build a culture of fear. Amen. Doing exactly what the Chinese communist government, you know, it's funny that we, when did we start mocking the, I mean, uh, copying the Chinese? You know, we have seen it. When, you know, it was a, it is a cultivation of fear. When you cultivate something, you get a culture. Yes. And the day, the day of fear producing propaganda is here in spades. Stay home or you might die. Get this shot or you might die. Wear this on your face or you might die or you might kill somebody else. Stay away from church or you might die. The liquor store is okay, but stay away from the church. Vote for us or democracy will die. Buy an electric car or millions will die. How many of you know I'm, you know, calling these? The UN secretary, you know, how many of you have heard of COP27, the climate, you know, thing they're having there? And the UN secretary general opened with this. This is a quote. We are on a highway to climate hell. 
with our foot on the accelerator. We are in the fight of our lives and we are losing. That is fear mongering at its, at its apex because none of that is true. If it, the world's getting warmer, why are we having record snows? Why do we see low temperature records in Canada and the northern U.S. falling like ten pins? Why, you know, it, well, it was just so warm even in November. Well, it was 15 degrees at my house this morning. Faith, you know, it, you give up your freedom, give up your prosperity, give up or millions will die. Pay taxes, you know, for carbon credits and all this stuff. Fear puts faith in something or someone that contradicts God. And it's all lies. All of it. In fact, I have in my possession something that my mother saved for me because I was only eight years old or turned eight that year. I was about to turn eight. No, nine. I was eight. And what I'm saying to you is that not the government not telling the truth isn't anything new. Look at this. This is from November 1963, right after the president, President Kennedy had been killed. And uh, this was two days before Thanksgiving. And you ought to see the prices for the grocery stores in this thing. Okay. FBI to bear JFK slaying data. 59 years and we're still waiting for that to happen. Think so, do you? It's nothing new. It's nothing new. Fear is a neutralizer. Mark chapter 5. Begin reading with verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed over again in the, uh, in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. And as he so he stayed by the seashore. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying... My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her and so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. Now, remember, for the last couple of weeks, we've made reference to the centurion. The centurion sent word to Jesus that his slave was sick and about to die. And they even... Uh, they, they even, you know, he said, I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof. You just say the word. And Jesus said, I have not seen such great faith. So it, it, that, that he said, I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me, just like you are in authority. And I recognize that. So what Jairus, the, um, the, the synagogue official, is asking Jesus to come and use that authority and raise his daughter up from this deathbed. Now, if you put yourself in this man's place, this is nerve wracking because she's not a little girl. She's 12 years old. And so he's his baby. You can follow what I'm saying. And she, you know, the Greek language, in fact, when he says my little girl, it is, even though she's 12 years old, it's a Greek term of endearment. The way he was saying, for all intents and purposes, the way we could render it today with great accuracy, my baby girl is 
you know, and he's broken. He's fearful, which is a normal response. So they were delayed. Jesus took off, started off to go there. And you may remember he was delayed because the woman with the issue of blood came in and touched the fringe of his garment. It was slow going anyway because of the size of the crowd. And so he's having this conversation. And then while, you know, he was, he's talking to the woman who was healed by touching the hem of his garment. And in verse 35, while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? It ain't over till Jesus says it's over. You know, no matter what you see, you know, you know, when we go to God with this stuff, we are not troubling him. We're not bothering him. I love what it says in verse 36, the very next verse. But Jesus overhearing. I don't know why they rendered it that way because the word is ignored. Jesus ignored what was being spoken. Who, you know, ignoring what was being spoken to the synagogue official and said, don't be afraid any longer. Only believe that is excellent advice. Don't be fearful. Only believe. If you're only believing, there isn't room for anything else. You're going to have to ignore some stuff. If you're going to walk in faith, you're going to walk in power. If you're going to be able to exercise the authority that God has given us, we're going to have to ignore some stuff. Because the enemy's out there doing this thing and doing everything he can to scare people. They will ignore the people telling the truth and emphasize those who trumpet the narrative. Don't be afraid. Amen. Any longer is not in the um, is not in the the text, but it's it's reasonable. So we come to verse thirty eight. Still there in Mark 5. And they came to the house of the synagogue official and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing and entering in said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child hasn't died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. I think the King James says they laughed him to scorn because that's the sense of the Greek. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions. Why would he take the parents? Because they were the ones in authority. They were the ones who were in authority. They were the covering for that child. We're going to talk about being covering for children and grandchildren here within the next couple of weeks. I've already got a, the message halfway in my head, and I've, I think I'm going to entitle it, Hands Off, Devil. Amen. But we'll get there. We'll get there. It's, but we're, we're, we're clearing away some brush and laying some other foundation stones. Uh, but they began laughing at him. You know what? When you decide to make a stand in, 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 a, in, in faith and, in, and exercise your authority, the world is not going to understand it. And they want they they hope that they can get all of us to uh, just flow with whatever they're doing. But if you're going to stand from this point forward, just get ready. We're going to be swimming upstream like we never have been before. Amen. Amen. That's more next week. But anyway, so 
He began laughing, they began laughing at him and putting them all out. He took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. And taking the girl or the, the, the child by the hand, he said to her, Talita kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely, that's Mark's favorite word, by the way, euthus, immediately. Immediately they were completely astounded. You and I will be ridiculed. You and I will be laughed at. Why? Because the enemy wants to try to embarrass us out of our faith when we're standing for something that does not seem to be working and hasn't been working but God and when she rose up they were gobsmacked what did he do he said the word get up Talitha get up Lazarus come forth hallelujah I asked the question, all those people that were standing out there snickering when Jesus went in with James and Peter and John and the girls, father and mother laughing. But when they came out, who's laughing now? I'm here to tell you, it's how many places is it said that the Lord has filled our mouths with laughter? Hallelujah. In Matthew chapter 10, I want to go through some, you know, that, that, uh, to which I've made reference in the past, but I really want to delineate it here. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them what? Authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Do you see that we have authority to heal? You understand that? Authority and healing walk hand in hand. All right. And, at, and I'm going to skip down. That's that's uh, we'll skip down to verse seven. That was verse one. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning it's near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons freely. You received freely give. And so he dispatched, what does it says, the 12 disciples. And so they went out and did exactly what he told them to do. But sometime later, and we know this from Luke's gospel, which unlike Matthew and uh, Mark, is written in chronological order. He even says, Theophilus, I'll put it out in consecutive order for you. Matthew is, an, is, is Jewish. Mark was Jewish. They did not, and Jewish writers do not feel, while they will keep it in a generally chronological order, they will mix and match and move things around to suit their, their, their preaching, you know, what the, the point they're, they're, they're trying to make. All right. Well, somebody says, well, I thought the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit uses human agents when he's doing these things. And that's why it's beautiful. Even though we have we've got 66 books written by a number of different authors, obviously. And the flavor of that author comes through. And that is exactly the way God wants it to be. He didn't want us all to be the same. What if everybody drove a white car? Yeah. What if everybody lived in a white house? Or the White House, <laughs> you know. What if every church was exactly the same? 
Every, you know, it, it, it no. Variety is something and, and is something that, that, that God really loves. So they, you know, he sends them out. And sometime later, Matthew chapter 17, when they came, when they, they're come, they've had a great victory on the mountain. They've had uh, Moses and Elijah have appeared to Jesus talking about his uh, crucifixion, which was to come at Jerusalem. Peter and James and John were there and they see him and they, they, they see them. And, oh, and Peter just starts you know, talking and everything. And finally a cloud overshadows him and the, uh, a voice in the cloud says, this is my beloved son, which doesn't mean that, you know, this is the son I love. When he says beloved son, that means this is my heir. Remember the, the story of the uh, remember the story of the of the of the, the vineyard. And he sent one servant after another after another, and they stoned some and you know and killed others. And he said, I will send my beloved son. They'll, and what did they say? This is the heir. So when you see that term beloved used of Jesus, it means Jesus is the heir. He is the, 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 the preeminent uh, son of the living God. All right. And when they came to the crowd, they, they come down from the mountain, from this mountaintop experience. And when they came to the crowd, a man, this is Matthew 17, 14. Uh, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill. And he often falls into the fire and into the water. How many of you think that would be unnerving behavior? You know, I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. I think it's Mark that tells us that when they came down, Jesus, the disciples were over there in an argument with the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says, what were you discussing with them? And that's when this man spoke up. And he says, and I took, I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't cure him. Now, these are people who had had success. And Jesus answered and said, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I put up with you? How long or shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Translated, you've heard me say this, translated roughly into 21st century North American uh, vernacular. You bunch of knuckleheads. When are you going to get it? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked him and the demon came out of him at once. But we know from an, uh, the, uh, another uh, uh, rendering that from, from Mark and I believe Luke, where as he was approaching Jesus, he fell to the ground and went into a grand mall seizure, foaming at the mouth and stiffened out and everything. Jesus even asked the father, how long has this been going on? And he said, from childhood. And if, you know, sometimes it throws him in the water. Sometimes it throws him in the fire. And it scarcely ever leaves him. But if you can do anything. Well, he was primed to say that because the disciples had struck out. But if you can do anything, help us. And Jesus said, if you can. Put it right back on his shoulders. All things are possible to him who believes. And if you don't think that's what he's saying there, what does the father respond? I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And so he cast the spirit out of him. And so then the disciples came, verse 19 of Matthew 17, which is why I gave him this one and didn't fill up with the others. And he said to them, 
they said, why couldn't we drive it out? And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Well, what happened? Why? I mean, they had had so much success. But this one was a complete and utter failure. What happened? I don't have any doubt about what happened. That kid went down to the ground and that that spirit threw him to the ground and began to have the stiffen out and grind his teeth and probably growl and they went amen i'm sure when that happened if there were mothers in the crowd and children they were putting their you know they were saying honey don't look at that that's scary and they're like This wasn't something that they had experienced. It was a, and it neutralized their faith. It jarred them. You ever had something you didn't expect happen? Did you ever have something jarring? Amen. Let me ask you a question. Whose report will you believe? Whose report? Will you believe? And that comes, of course, from Numbers 13, where the 12 spies were sent into the land. Joshua and Caleb and 10 others. And when they came back, they were to spy out the land. And beginning in verse 13, it says, And they told him, We went in to the land where you sent us. And certainly it does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit Nevertheless, which is a very, which is a four syllable way to say, but, but when you say, but you've wiped out everything you went for. Oh, God is so awesome and he's great and he's wonderful and he is just, he's faithful and true. But how many of you get it? But. The people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the Nephilim, the, the, the descendants of Anak there. And Amalek is living in the, in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the hill country and the Canaanites are living by the sea. And by the, ah! Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! Now I'm not being critical, but that's got to be what it sounded like to Moses. And this was a serious hubbub. I mean, everybody's, you know, you've seen the movies where everybody's, you know, the target for tonight is Berlin. Everybody's talking about it. Oh, no, what's going to happen? And Caleb, in the very next verse, it says, then Caleb quieted the people. Everybody, you know, put a cork in it. Before Moses. So Caleb had such faith that he actually walked out and got up in front of Moses and in front of the people and told him to what I used to have. A, 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 my fourth grade teacher used to say, simmer down. Anybody remember that old phrase? Simmer down. And that's what he's saying. Simmer down. Cool it. Put a sock in it. Put a cork in it. What? Be quiet. Y'all shut up. We should. Then he said, we should 
by all means go up and take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. Caleb and Joshua said, let's go. We can do it. The other 10 said, we can't. Who was right? All of them. The 10 who didn't believe they could do it, couldn't. And the two who believed they could are the only two of that group that went in. Amen. Their fear, the fear of the 10, uh, in the 10, completely sidelined them. So Jesus admonished his disciples and said, you bunch of knuckleheads, when are you going to get this? It's because of the littleness of your faith. Well, did that keep Jesus from sending them out again? No, it did not. Because in Luke chapter 10, which is a subsequent uh, event, it says in verse 1, Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others. This is not the same event. 70 others and sent them out in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And verse 9 says, heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. What was the uh, outcome of that? We skip down to verse 17. The 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Hallelujah. How do they know that? Because they were coming out. How did they know that? Because they saw the, the, the people healed. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you what? Authority. To tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing. Everybody say nothing. How much is nothing? Nothing is nothing. Shall by enemy, any means hurt you. I have given you authority, the authority, literally, the authority. The enemy will do everything he can to scare us off, to discourage us, to inflict a sickening dread. Giants will rise up in your life and in mine and in this nation they already have just like uh, they did against Israel the cities will be large with walls that are greatly fortified and it will look impregnable it will look impossible it will even perhaps be frightening or scary and when you say the word you may be ridiculed like Jesus but God but God if our musicians would come. As predicted by the scriptures, the world around us is darkening rapidly. Amen. In 2019, the Lord told us as a church and, and warned us that it was that things were accelerating. And that's on both sides of the aisle, so to speak, for light and darkness. America has become much more pagan, not secular. Pagan. All right. The invasion of false religions and pagan practices has taken over in. I mean, you know, many of these false religions are protected in, uh, by the government in ways that Christian uh, Christianity and Judaism are not. It's okay to make fun of Christians and to lampoon, uh, well, particularly Christians, not so much uh, Judaism, but uh, Christianity. But it's not okay to go after Islam. That 
should not frighten us. It should not discourage us. It shouldn't even unsettle us. You know, we've been saying, man, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be greater than the book of Acts. Well, in the book of Acts, they lived in a pagan world. And they were penetrating into pagan darkness. And if we expect to see book of Acts level manifestations and miracles, then we should expect it to be in something of the same type of environment. All of the, you know, think about it. When, when, when they went to Antioch and when they went to, you know, when they went to, into uh, Ephesus, when they went into uh, Galatia, where, you know, uh, you know, fire uh, or uh, uh, what is it, uh, Illyricum and, and Derbe and, and those, those cities, they were going into pagan areas, spreading the gospel. That shouldn't, you know, uh, in fact, you know, God was, they, they, were, they were in the cultures that were demonic spirits were, were worshipped. Great as Diana of the Ephesians. But it didn't stop Paul, didn't slow him down, didn't, you know, didn't, didn't concern him at all. Think about this, again, with a word. In Acts chapter 16, it happened as we were going to the place of prayer. A slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us. This was in uh, Philippi. Having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Do you understand that that means that her fortune telling was accurate enough that she had built a clientele. And following after Paul, she kept crying out saying, These men are bond servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you, not the, it's an arthritis, a way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days. Now Paul, yeah, I'm telling you, you know, somebody said, well, why would Paul care? I mean, she's saying, a way of salvation. Because when people get saved, they're going to think she pointed them to it. And so they can go get her, go to her for even further advice. The enemy is sneaky. And Paul was greatly, what? Annoyed. Did you know it's okay to be annoyed by the devil? It's okay to be annoyed. Do you think Jesus was annoyed when he said, you bunch of knuckleheads? And I'm softening what he actually said. He was greatly annoyed. And I think this great story. President Roberts, those of us who are ORU grads, used to tell about how he was. No, no, I've got that mixed up. It was T.L. Osborne. And well, it was one of the two. And he had just worn himself out praying for people for hours on end to be healed. And as he was leaving, there was somebody saying, and I don't know it was Brother Roberts, saying, you know, there was a lady saying, you know, Brother Roberts, would you pray for my son? He's, he's deaf. Could you just pray for him? And it's like, well, why wasn't he up there on the line? Why, you like, why, do you, why are you ambushing me out here kind of thing and everything? And he is just worn absolutely smooth. And finally, he just turns, he, he tells us, he just turned around just in frustration and put his hands on the child and said, Heal him, Lord! <sighs> and God did. Humbled him on the spot. Because God was faithful even when he was annoyed. 
I want God to heal people through my hands. I just don't want to be annoyed by them. <laughs> Lord, send me to unannoying people. <laughs> Guess what? That's not a prayer God's liable to answer. Because if he did answer that prayer, who would have come to you? Who would have come to me? Faith is a choice. Paul said to the, he said, he was greatly annoyed and he said, uh, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Now, I don't know what manifestation there was. I don't know if she fell to the ground and went, uh, or anything like that. Most likely, I think, probably she just got a funny look on her face. Because it says that when her masters saw that their hope of gain had been removed. So that means this was days later that, you know, when they took her in to have their session and all this kind of stuff and people are coming to her. And whereas before she would know what to say, she's just sitting there looking at them like a cow at a new gate. And they got upset, drug Paul and Silas before the uh, the the procurator of the the uh, governor of the Roman governors and and they were beaten and thrown into the innermost part of the prison. We know the story. They were singing praises at midnight, sing a little louder in the presence of the enemy, sing a little louder. You know, it isn't easy sometimes to sing when it looks like everything's going wrong and fear is trying to grip you and that sickening dread is trying to get a hold of you. You might even be having trouble sleeping because, you know, this just doesn't look good. And they were praying. And at about midnight, the darkest time of the night, they began singing praises and God sent an earthquake. All the prison doors, all the cell doors opened and all of the chains fell off. You know the story. The jailer himself was about to commit Harry Keary. And Paul... Knowing this somehow says, do yourself no harm, we're all still here. So he runs in there and gets them out and says, what must I do to be saved? And they went home with him that evening. He treated their wounds. He said food before him. And then he took them back down to, and believe me, sometimes we will suffer. Some people would probably look at Paul and say, well, he should have had enough faith not to get beaten. Okay. And I'll confess to you, there might have been a time in my life where I thought, well, if Paul's faith would have been strong enough, he could have avoided that. <clears throat> Jesus said to him, I'll show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Everyone who desires to live godly, not just serve Jesus, live godly, will suffer persecution. I am not looking forward to a beating. I hope it never happens. I'm going to put my shield up. Amen. But because of the beating, their rights as Roman citizens were violated. And when the lictors came the next day from the, uh, from the governor saying, release those men, Paul goes, now, Paul's annoyed. He's still annoyed. He says, they've beaten us in public without trial. Men who are Romans... I don't think so. 
You tell them to come bring us out. And the lictors, that's what they were called, policemen, went back and said, those guys are citizens. They didn't get due process. They could file complaints. And when the, when the, when the governor and his people heard one, they were like, uh-oh. And so they came and were begging him to leave the city. And from that point forward, Paul was able to come and go through Macedonia as he jolly well pleased. Because in the police station was a picture of Paul and Silas saying, leave these guys alone. And, and I'm sure somebody on the cop, you know, some new guy on the police department looked at it and said, why, why are we not to mess with these people? And I'm sure one of the more veteran officers said something to the fact that he's got something on the governor. Paul was not afraid to throw down the citizen card. He did it in front of Portius Festus. My point is this. What did he do? He claimed the authority as a citizen that was his. I have authority to not submit to this and to appeal. Yes. Men who are, I'm telling you, we are citizens of heaven. And when the enemy does something that's out of bounds, then God can be called in to get involved. Yeah, glory. But I got to decide not to be fearful. I got to decide not to be afraid. I got to decide that the enemy is just standing there going, and there's nothing he can really do to me. Because in the final analysis, when we get into fear, it's just like saying, okay, hit me. It's inevitable. Hit me. No. We keep that shield up. Everybody say amen. We're going to talk about that too. Shields up. I think that's next week. We decide to ignore fear. We decide to ignore the bad report. We decide that we are not going to put confidence in the negative, in the fearful, in the in the in the bad the evil thing that the enemy says he's going to do to us. Go back to Psalm 27 and 1. Yahweh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Mark my words, just as Yahweh Sabbat, the Lord of hosts, dealt with all of the gods of Egypt, you will see him. It's already happening. He will deal with the gods of America. The false gods of America will be humiliated. And believe me, God is not a Republican. Or certainly not a Democrat. How many of you follow me here? Do not look for a political situation, a solution to this. Because only, think this, the tentacles of this thing run so deep. These things have been taught in our colleges and in our schools now for so many decades that people don't even recognize reality when they actually see it. Because they've been so uh, programmed with the lie that they don't recognize the truth. But God, what did Jesus say? When he, the spirit of truth comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And baby, he gonna do it. He already is. But it's picking up speed. 
And I believe, don't get me wrong, I don't believe that the church is going to take over the seven mountains of culture and reconstruct the world and then Jesus comes back and we hand it to him. That is not what I see in Revelation. That's not what I see in Daniel. That's not what I see in the words of Jesus. But I do see that the church will stand fast and we will see the devil falling from heaven like lightning. Hallelujah. And just remember, a hundred years from now, 50 years from now. I'm not going to be here 50 years from now. I don't want to be. You mean you don't want to live to be 117 or 118? No, I do not. 50 years from now, we'll be standing, we'll be rejoicing before the Lord. And we'll be walking in an eternity where we have been rewarded for the faithfulness we showed in this life. What it is that it's all about Jesus. It's all about the kingdom. It's all about him. So every morning, if you wake up and you're heavy and you feel heaviness, just begin to praise God and then pick up that cross, put it on your shoulder and start bearing it again that day. Because there is a reward, not just in heaven, but in this life for so doing. Let's all stand. Those of you watching by web, thank you for being with us today. If you are not a believer, do not wait another minute. The darkness is intensifying. Come back next week. We're going to talk about that in some detail and how that we, with authority, that God is placing us in strategic places because he has work to do. And the darkness just makes it even more imperative. And the darkness gives God an opportunity to like even the smallest light shine so brightly. But the way that happens is you give your heart and your life to Jesus. You must, Jesus said, be born again. How does that happen? You ask God. First of all, you confess that Jesus of Nazareth is God's son and that God has raised him from the dead. For it says in Romans chapter 10, with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's the way you do it. It's not a formula. You don't just recite it. It has to be faith from the heart. Father, I do believe. I believe in you. You don't have to believe everything right. And you don't have to go around and tell everybody before you can be saved. You don't have to go around and tell everybody you've wronged how sorry you are. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. When you cry out to him, you will not be turned away. Christian, if you have just been stirring it with your finger, if you've been a casual believer, if you've just been a cultural Christian, those days of being able to prosper in that are over because things are heating up. And as it intensifies, it's those who's are, who have built their houses on the rock who will see their lives withstand the river and the rain and the wind slamming against it. Get in. Get in a good church. Get in where the word of God is taught. Put your hand to the plow. Go to work for the kingdom. Don't just make Jesus an appurtenance or an accessory to your life. But put him at the very center 
of your universe. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily.org, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.